have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Welcome back to another episode of I Know You Hear Me with me, Flynn Hendricks. And guys, this is episode 12. So that means we've been doing this podcast for three months now. And I can't think of a better way to celebrate than by bringing you the second portion of my interview with Lucas Kaler. We left off on a pretty heavy note last week in episode 11, and we're going to jump right back into his story with episode 12 here today. And guys, again, I just want to thank you before we get started for not only continuing to like, subscribe, and share, but for all the support you're giving as well. I want to thank our sponsors for all their continued support. And if you don't mind, give us a like on social media, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, tell your friends, leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you listen. And guys, we're going to keep cranking out the guests and we're going to keep bringing you powerful episodes like these right here. So we're going to take a pause for our sponsors, and then we're going to jump right back into Lucas's interview. If you love anime like I do, I've got a YouTube channel just for you. My voiceover coach, Elise Bowman, is an anime voice actress who interviews her fellow anime voice actors. Elise is an actress, TV host, and the voice of Pan on Dragon Ball GT, among other characters. She's got a YouTube channel, Anime Adventures with Elise Bowman, and on there she has over 100 videos where she has interviewed voice actors, Power Rangers, and even a few professional wrestlers, and all that sounds right up my alley. And there's a lot of other people that she's interviewed as she travels the country going to comic cons and different recording studios. Elise also features actors from the entire Dragon Ball franchise, My Hero Academia, Naruto, and so much more. And on top of that, there are exclusive panels that are only available on this channel from events like KameaCon 2, Con Live 2021, and so many more. You've got to check this out. See and hear voice actors behind your favorite characters and from your favorite anime shows. Go to youtube.com slash anime adventures and let me know what you think. Follow her on social at Adventures Anime and at Elise Bowman. She loves chatting with fans of anime. Hey, I know you hear me. And guess what? Elise and I want to hear from you, too. Connect with us. There were a lot of highlights and lowlights from the year after my mom died. There were some really positive moments and then some that were just the most devastating thing imaginable. I do not regret or do not, I should say, I do not recommend if anybody loses a parent in the next year, do not watch What's Eating Gilbert Grape on Mother's Day. Just don't. That's the saddest thing in the world. I'm going to take your word uh, on that. And so there were there were moments like that. Oh, God, it was horrible. The, the climax of the movie, their mom dies. Like, what the fuck? Oh. That's pretty brutal. And uh, which we didn't, my brother and I didn't know that. We had always heard, like, people reference the movie. And we were like, yeah, let's watch this this movie with Johnny Depp and, well, Leonardo DiCaprio in it or whoever's in it. 
Yeah, Leo's in it. Matt Damon. I don't remember. Who cares at this point? (laughs) Point being, I was so depressed after my mom died. The light bulb in my bedroom went out, and I didn't replace it for eight months. Jeez. I just, I left it dark in there. I, I left it completely pitch black dark in that bedroom. The darker it was, the more comfortable I was. The colder it was, the more comfortable. I would I would drink constantly. It was a weird period because I, I didn't feel like there was anybody in my world that wanted to help or knew how to help or, or could. I knew there were people that, that wanted to but just didn't know how to. This sounds selfish, but when you're when you're going through something like that, if somebody doesn't have the exact tools that you think you need to help you, you're going to reject any offer they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely true. If somebody doesn't come to you with with exactly what you think is going to is going to fix you. Yeah, you're just going to you're going to reject whatever they give you. So I had people that would try really hard to make me feel better and I wouldn't want it because of my own selfishness and they would be frustrated and they would give up on trying to help. I dealt with that a lot. I dealt with, again, a situation where I was I was chasing around somebody that had their own problems, and I didn't realize that at the time. Again, when you've just gone through the worst thing in your life, you think your life is all that matters. You think that you, you have this very selfish mindset where, oh, sure, they're going through that, but I, I, I've had it worse. Life's not a contest. It doesn't matter. But I spent a lot of time chasing somebody around that wanted to be in my life, just not the same way I wanted them, and that was hard. Yeah. That was the source of a lot more substance abuse because you then torture yourself thinking, why am I not good enough? Why am I not what they want? It was so weird because you're you're basically a functional alcoholic at that point. Mm-hmm. I try not to over, overstate what I was going through because I know there are people that have dealt with decades-long battles with alcoholism and stuff. However, I was. I was. I mean, there would be times where I tried going back to school for a while, and I would take a shot of vodka in the car before going in for class sometimes. I would never drink and drive. You know, never, never do that. But yeah. I would definitely drink a lot at home and then be very reckless within my own home. You know, there would be times I'd wake up and stuff would be broken. I had no memory of breaking or why I broke it stuff like that it was obviously the worst around the holidays that first holiday period was so dark i don't know what i would have done without clint actually because he knew i was in trouble personally and he was like hey man i don't normally invite people from the business to this but if you want to come to thanksgiving with my family with my parents you can come yeah Having having someone to spend that first Thanksgiving with him and his family was was special because that was the first time that complete strangers didn't look at me as a charity case and instead looked at me as as just a human that needed some comfort. So then you go through a period after you've experienced the tragedy where the blinders kind of come off. You can see when people are are genuinely trying to help. Mm-hmm. That was the other part of it was. I didn't know who was trying to help, who was trying to take advantage of me, or what was going on. I didn't know who to trust anymore. And that's a hard feeling. I didn't know what to feeling. believe anymore. It's a horrible feeling. It's horrible. So then we get to a point where the person I was chasing around for so long, finally around Christmas, is like, hey, 
I move in like halfway across the country and it's to be with somebody you didn't know about. So uh, I'm leaving in three months. Bye. Which was equal parts depressing and liberating. Like I remember there was a feeling of I'm not jealous. I'm happy he's going to be gone because now I can move on. You want to hold on to everything that existed while your mother was still alive because she's gone. But all the other people, all the other things, no matter how much it hurts you, you're going to try to hold on to them because it's better than losing them or so you think. And so um, when I found out that he, he was leaving, first thing, the first thing that fell away, I stopped caring almost completely about my college classes. I was just like, I don't want to be a journalism major anymore. I don't care. I was living at Lamar's, but Lamar wasn't living there anymore. He was with his now wife living with her, mm -hmm. but he couldn't afford to break the lease on his apartment. So he just let me stay there. Right. So I was living by myself. I was arguing with my dad a lot because we were both heartbroken and didn't know how to communicate that. And so things kind of came to a head for me. February of, of 2017, my dad was on vacation, so nothing that I, he was out of the country, so nothing I did he even knew about for three weeks. We, my, my friends and I go to Macon for an awards ceremony. Our college newspaper was nominated. We swept the we swept the the show. We won all the awards we were nominated for, and all the celebration pictures they made me hold the trophies, which made me feel bad because I felt like I didn't do anything to help. I was the assistant editor, but they never gave me responsibilities because they knew I was too emotionally compromised to work. And so I go home. I get extremely drunk, not because I'm trying to deal with anything going on. Actually, I had a kidney infection. I was trying to get rid of. And I was like, oh, I'll do the cranberry juice thing. And then, of course, the cranberry juice turns into vodka with cranberry juice. Oh, boy. It devolved over the course of the night. And I made a long series of regrettable phone calls that night, or at least regrettable at the time. These were, they weren't anything too salacious. And everybody's cool about it now. Nobody's been mad at me about this for years. But I called and texted everybody I was mad at in my life at that point. I remember the date on this because I woke up the next day for having no knowledge of what I did and being excited that all of Prince's music was on Spotify starting that day. So, yeah, I called people, you know, complaining that, oh, you haven't been around or you owe me this or that. Just being a, being selfish, basically. Right, right. I woke up the next day to so many angry people. I turned my phone off. I drove to my dad's. I didn't even have a key to get into my dad's house. He was on vacation. And I just sat out by the lake behind his house. And the neighbors had, I think it was a blue healer, beautiful dog that just came over and sat with me for a minute. And that was the first time, I think, ever. I looked out into the lake. It was February, so it was cold. All the trees are dead. There's no leaves, no grass. It was the first time, I think, in my life where I looked out into the water and I, I kind of realized that all of this, it can be what I want it to be. That I am doing so many things to myself that are that are toxic, and I have so many people in my life that are toxic, and I'm being toxic to the people I care about. In that moment, it, it all it, it made sense just to implode everything I was doing and start over. And, and so I did. I I quit my college classes. I had been staying at a friend's house, not Lamar's, but I've been staying in a friend's house sometimes on nights when he was there. And I just I went over in the middle of the night one night and was like, hey. Here in about six hours, when you get up to go to class, I'm coming with you because I'm dropping out again. I had a couple of wrestling bookings, but I knew that wasn't the future. 
Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to go back to the wrestling business, but I'll do this while I figure out what I want. So I drop out of my classes. I take a day job at Waffle House. I don't recommend anybody to blow up their life and start over. However, if you find yourself at a point where you have to do that, it is a liberating feeling. Going into Waffle House, knowing damn well there were no expectations on me to do anything at that job, knowing that whether I was the best Waffle House waiter or the worst, it was not going to matter. In one bit, the world was not going to change. Doing the worst job of my life let me let me breathe for a minute. Absolutely. It gave me some comfort. So I started trying to do stand-up comedy while doing the wrestling. I was doing stand-up comedy on Monday and Tuesday. I was res- doing wrestling on Fridays and Saturdays. There was a moment at one of the wrestling shows where a f- I was cutting a promo and a fan said, and normally what the fans say doesn't bother me. I'm a heel. It's not supposed to. Mm-hmm. But I heard a fan say something to the effect of, why are you trying so hard? We can see you're dead inside. Jesus. And it broke my heart because I thought, if it's so obvious to them, why am I trying to fool myself? If it's so obvious to these people that I, I, I'm heartbroken and hate what I'm doing, like, yeah. If, if it's so obvious, then I need to quit doing this. So I was contemplating that future. I went home to my dad one day. I had, I had started staying at his house again. And he said, he said, son, I have to be honest with you. I hate that you're working at Waffle House. And it was just like that moment in Dewey Cox where Jane Lynch says, you must want to blow your brains out to Dewey. Yep. Uh, she's interviewing him for her show, and she's like, I know what it's like to host a piece of crap TV show because I'm doing it right now. Up until that moment, I was I was not happy working at Waffle House, but I was I was comfortable with the fact that I was finding myself. Right. And my dad said, it is heartbreaking watching you do this to yourself. He said, there is no dignity in what you're doing, and this is not what you dreamed of. I- I'm sorry that, that you're having to do this to yourself. So my employment at Waffle House ended probably three days after that. And, I mean, I was showing up to work on time. You know, I was doing the right thing. I just I had a conversation with the manager where she said, I don't think this is going to work out. And I said, yeah, I don't think so either. So I never got fired. I never quit. I kind of broke up with Waffle House. It, it was more of a mutual decision to part. Right, right. So then I lost my paid job. I'm doing the stand-up comedy. I'm making friends through stand-up comedy, which is a different form of self-expression. But at the time, it, it, it made me feel good. And more importantly, I was fitting in with, for the first time, I was fitting in with average people. The local stand-up comics, these were guys who were, they worked at the local bar. They, they worked at the same bar where they did stand-up, right? Yeah. Those types of people. This was the first time where I was, I felt accepted by... Average people who, I mean, not to say, you know, a lot of wrestlers are weekend warriors too, but in a different way. You know, they've got kids and whatever. Like, most of them aren't broken people like so many comedians are. Then I got to the point where every year the uh, the IndyCar Series races in Birmingham, Alabama. And the race was coming up. I was doing some work for a, a small TV station in Chattanooga. And, of course, now they go to Nashville. This could have been a whole lot easier had they gone to Nashville back then. But when that race, when the Birmingham race was coming up, I said to myself, I'm going to go and apply for media credentials for this race. Because if what I'm doing is going to kill me, at least I'm going to go go down fighting. I'm going to try to at least cover one race, one time, as a serious journalist and give it my best shot. So I get approved for credentials. 
we we run an angle where I'm suspended so I can spend the next week in Birmingham. I get to Birmingham to cover this race, and all of a sudden, it's like nothing else in life had ever made sense up to that point. And now, all of a sudden, everything makes sense. This one thing that I knew I loved my whole life is now doable. The way that I, I covered this race, I, I knew nobody in the business at the time. And I reached out to any and everybody that I could think of that may be able to help. And I was having to guess email addresses. Somebody would give me a name and I would go to to that person's website and figure out the formula that they use to assign email addresses to employees. I was having to guess email addresses and hope that I was right. And it turns out I was on a few of them. I was able to get the series PR directory, which is the list of, of every driver's contact person if you want to do an interview. So I set up some interviews and the Friday part of the weekend was good. Then I met a couple of people, uh, one of whom is no longer with us, but I met a couple of people who really helped get the ball rolling on my career. Sunday, there was a person for the series who let me into victory lane, even though she wasn't supposed to. uh, I don't want to say she wasn't supposed to. I don't know if she was, but I definitely on principle shouldn't have been in there. I didn't, didn't belong with the more professional people. Anyway, one of the people that worked in media for the series at the time, Mm -hmm stayed in touch with me and we're actually still friends. And I came away from that weekend having made enough contact in the business to know if I want a career in this, in this sport, I can have a career in this sport. It all of a sudden it went from being this pipe dream sort of fantasy to, okay, now it's possible. And, and none of this pain that you've been through, none of this loss that you've been through can weigh me down anymore. It's a shame on one hand to think, that my career as I know it now comes from the fact that somebody didn't want to be with me. Like I was so petty that I went out and and started my whole career over it. Essentially what it was though. And around that same time, we actually decided it wasn't worth it to, to fight over that. And we stayed in touch for a couple of years, but then all of a sudden, and I'd only been doing comedy for like a month and a half. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been doing stand up for long. I get back from this trip to Birmingham, and I don't want to do wrestling anymore, and I don't really want to do comedy anymore either. Like, for five minutes, I thought stand-up comedy was going to be the new way that I found myself. I, I found what I really wanted, and it was like a switch was flipped. So I get home. I worked one more wrestling show. It was in Athens, Georgia. It was part of a company I was supposed to be with week to week. I worked that last show, and the booker who now also has nothing to do with the wrestling business anymore. He Levy works for the Harlem Globetrotters. Anyway, oh, wow. the booker calls me. Basically, in a nice way, he said, I wanted to book Ryan Lazarus and, and got you the real person who's heartbroken and sad. And he basically explained that if I couldn't be my over-the-top cartoonish character, that there was no need in booking me, which was true. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm not mad. I appreciate the opportunity. I hate that it didn't work. And so on a Tuesday morning in in early May, that was basically the end of my time in wrestling. I mean, I've I've done three appearances since then. That sounds about Uh, right. Four, like, and two of those weren't even shows. Yeah, I've kept up one appearance a year since then. And I'm happy with the fact that I've only done one a year. I mean, obviously, when you're when you're doing something that at that point has come to represent so much pain in your life, you want to be done with it anyway. Yeah. But also, 
A, you've, you've found something new that you want to give your time and attention to. And the other, the more, the more adult, the more realistic point of view, I was going to have to move out of my dad's house at some point. And let's be honest, I was never going to make enough money in, in professional wrestling to do that. Unfortunately. And I didn't want to get a real job. So what else was I going to do? Right. It's so, a very sobering thing, man. It really is. From from that, it's heartbreaking, you know, yeah. because you love it. You love wrestling. You really do. But the, the, the path, especially as a manager, if I was like a wrestler that was able to get over with the audience, sure, the potential to make a lot of money is there. But you, you think any managers are out there making as much money as their workers? I mean, you know, is, is Don Callis making Kenny Omega's salary? Probably not. Doubtful. And I love Don Callis, but... He's not entirely the star. Kenny's the wrestler. Kenny's the one that's going to get the big payday. And so I knew that. I knew even if I was good at announcing or or any production stuff, like the road to the the top of the business in that aspect is so long and so thankless. I, I didn't have the passion left anymore to put myself through all of that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I mean, there are people, funny enough, there are some people working in production that have been in the business for 30, 40 years. But mm-hmm. I know that getting to that that point, I was going to have to eat a lot of toothpaste sandwiches for dinner, and I didn't want to do that. And so my brother was, was kind enough to let me stay with him the summer of 2017, just like with Charlotte a few years earlier. Get out of Chattanooga, see somewhere new for a while, just long enough to get uncomfortable. Right. There were a few times during that period where I would come here. I would come to Indianapolis for a day on a weekend just to hang out. And I became obsessed with trying to move here and make it in the racing business. So I had to move back into my dad's and I promised myself, you're not going to turn 25 in North Georgia. You're just not. It was right before my 23rd birthday. So I knew I had a year and a half to two years at most. I spent the next year or more working at the Chattanooga Zoo, cool place to work, and then in March of 2019, I moved here. Was I able to save up any money living at my dad's? No, because I was a 23-year-old with a $8 an hour job. Of course, I was blowing every penny I had on stupid stuff. I bought a whole uh, record player stereo ensemble for my own birthday that year. Why? Because I didn't pay any bills. Right. <laughs> I had the money and nothing else to do with it. So then, yeah, in March of 2019, I moved here to Indianapolis. The move the move was rough, or I should say the transition was rough. I got here fully expecting it to be like, or not fully expecting it, but I got here and thought it was going to be like a fast track to what I wanted to do professionally. I got here thinking it was going to be a lot easier. Then I get here and I get my ass kicked the first year I get here. I was working at Fry's Electronics when I first moved here, mm-hmm. and they cut me to part-time two months into living here. So my hours, I went down to 20 hours a week. You can't pay your bills on 20 hours a week. No, no, you cannot. So I went out. I tried to get a second job, and I couldn't hold a second job. I didn't know how to do that yet. So any second job I tried to get, I kept having to quit after a couple of months. Now I, I have multiple jobs now, plus my independent contractor status, so I, I'm better at that now than I was. Mm-hmm. Then I got fired from a liquor store 
<laughs> which was oh. embarrassing because I didn't even drink. I didn't drink at all like the first year that I lived here. Yeah. So yeah, I got fired from a liquor store. Then all of a sudden things just started to get easier. Almost almost like a switch. I survived that first year and then everything became a little easier to manage. And then of course like you know, we all went through the shutdown and everything. Yep. That period was weird because I wasn't working like most people. Uh, thank God for my friend Vinny up in New Jersey. He uh, he and I would sit and watch old NASCAR races through Discord together. I would put a, a tape in my VCR and I'd wire it in like a webcam. And we would watch old races together just to keep each other sane because we were both stuck at home. He lived by himself. I, or, yeah, he lived by himself. I lived by myself. And just to keep from going crazy, we would we would stay on the, on the phone together for hours, just watching TV or something. Then I survived that, and race season started last year. I, I was working on track at the drag strip, and that has turned into everything I've been doing in the last uh, year or so. I would go out on days off when we still had races and I wasn't working. I would use my status as an employee to, to get in and shoot photos for practice. I'm a decent photographer, shameless plug, long street images is my, my photo business and I'd go above I'd go above decent, but that's I would just... bring my cameras in and shoot pictures for practice. Well I was putting them online because I had I had permission to and our marketing director started using my pictures to promote events. And so that kind of became an unofficial part of my job title. They let me shoot pictures. And of course, as far as like pay goes, it all just depends on what happens. But I shoot pictures and if they're good enough, they'll be used for promotion. And I'm able to make money off of my photo work. Um, if like a team wants to pay me to do photos for them or whatever. And I knew taking pictures to help marketing, even if I wasn't getting rich from it, was going to help. Because I hate when people get upset about, oh, I'm not working for free, the whole exposure thing. Well, no, you shouldn't work for free. But early in your career, when you're on the very bottom of the totem pole, yeah, you you might have to eat that exposure thing a couple of times. Yeah, There are calculated risks where it could work out in your favor, which happened for me. So coming out and, and shooting promotional pictures for not a lot of money has turned into i mean i just had i had a um, race driver on friday email me about wanting to buy some pictures from me that i shot and and that turns into my phone number my business card being passed around and it, it has ended up being great for me for networking plus i've been recommended for so much work because of it i've been hired for so much work because of it and now it's not even something like my business is doing just fine to the point where I don't have to go out and shoot for free anymore. However, still having access to, to shooting for practice if I'm not getting paid somewhere else is great. So there are times where if I'm not already booked somewhere else, I'll go out, take my cameras, practice. If I get shots that are good enough to help business, yeah, sure. Why would I not let them use them, you know? Absolutely. Same thing I used to do for Drew and Susan. If they like, I I showed up to shoot video for them. If they didn't like it, they didn't have to use it. Yeah, that's but true. If they liked it, then okay, cool. It helps sell tickets. 
And so that has grown from shooting photos now to shooting video for most of the year to, and and I'll let you know the the air date on this when it gets sooner, but I actually got to do my first bit of on-air work for national television. Oh, very Uh, nice. I know it's going to air during the off season, which was an opportunity that, that I had worked for. You know, I've worked for that since the day I quit high school, you know, from November 1st of 2010 all the way to September 11th of 2021. Like I spent those 11 years almost fighting to get that opportunity. Dude, that's a journey. Uh, Man, it's in the can. I'm, a, I'm actually going to be helping with the formatting and editing process. So I'm going to be hands on in terms of like when it's finished and when it's ready for air. Yeah, let me know and we'll definitely but make sure it gets out there. I did, I did my first there. piece of, of work for that. Congratulations. Um, Man. Thanks. I mean, obviously, like, the vindication of it, knowing I worked so hard to get to that point. Yeah. And it's only a one-off. They may use me more next year. They may not. We're so close to the end of race season that we're pretty much done for the year. But but it's a start. Um, just to get the one opportunity was validating. Absolutely. And told me that, you know, yeah, well, it, it tells, you know, it tells me that I was right this whole time that I knew I was going to get here. Problem is, getting there is one thing, staying there is another. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so now, like, yeah, as long as, as hard as I work to get here, now it's going to be double the work to make sure that these opportunities keep coming. So mm-hmm. it's weird because all of this that I've been talking about, you learn how to find yourself through it. You, you learn a whole lot more about yourself than just who you are as a professional. You learn so much about who you are as a person, what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to put yourself through. And also what it means to truly have passion for something, because so many people go through this life thinking they know what passion is. And then when you put them in a a situation where they have to demonstrate that passion, they, they don't know what to do. I compare my career at this point to a marriage because I have put myself through so much pain and so much suffering only because I know how much I love what I do and it's going to work out. You have to be forgiving of those of those hard times. You, yes. you can't take it personally. And it's the same as in a relationship where there are going to be hard times. You, you can't take it personally what the other person does or, or vice versa. And that's a hard thing to remember. You, as long as it's not an abusive relationship. Yeah, and and, and it, it, it has taught me there have been plenty of times where I've had to stand up for myself and say no and say, I don't want to do this or I think I should be paid more. You, you learn how to stand up for yourself, how to negotiate, and you do. You, you, you learn what it, what it means to care yeah, about something. Like, Absolutely. I spoke, at a mom- spoke a moment ago about the, about the racetrack. Well, about the racetrack that I work for. One of my pictures is on the wall in the media center there. So if you're a reporter and you're there to cover a race, you walk in, bam, there's a picture that I shot right there on the wall. Nice. It's got my name on it. Super proud of it. Absolutely should and, be. It, it, it's funny because I was more proud of that than the national television deal because these are the people I want to make proud. Yeah. Right. No, I get like, that. The people I did the TV work for, I, it was contractor work. I want to make them proud. I want them to keep booking me. They've Absolutely. been good to me. Yeah. But it, it's almost like if you're employee of the month at work and they, they put your plaque up on the wall, you're, you're going to be proud of that. Sure. But if you go back to your parents' house and you see a picture of yourself on the on the refrigerator with a magnet, you're going to be more happy that your parents want that picture of you because they're who you've always wanted to make proud. It, yeah, man, that uh, and um, that hits home. That really does. It's it's a very similar. You know, it's it's a very similar feeling. I mean, who wouldn't be proud 
to to make it further and further professionally. But exactly, home is what matters the most to you, and you always want to you always want to make the people at home the happiest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the other thing that you learn a life such as as mine personal and professional and even in in your career as you as you get deeper into all of the the voice acting and stuff you're gonna learn and, and not just you but the, the audience as a whole uh, as you get deeper into a life like that that those moments or those places that feel like home those are gonna be the most to you yes. as you move as you move on through life because we take for granted growing up that mm-hmm. You know, mom's there every morning with breakfast and dad comes home after work and you watch The Simpsons together. And and that's life for like the first 20 years that you're on this planet. Yep. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and that's over, you know, and all of a sudden then a couple of years after that, you're living by yourself and King of the Hills not even in syndication anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and and all of those things that you knew as home are gone. Right? Yeah. Your whole world's changed. Um. I went back to my dad's in May. It didn't feel like going home. I mean, I was happy to see my dad, and that feels that has a homey feeling to it. But I spent the night in my teenage bedroom, and all my posters are still on the wall. I've got I've got a really nice Randy Savage poster I want to go back and get. All my posters are on the walls, and everything's kind of like it used to be. But I don't feel it. But then there are sometimes I go to the racetrack, or I'm out at dinner with friends, and I feel it. You you understand that home anymore isn't so much a destination as it is a state of mind and a place in your heart. As cliche and as stupid as that sounds, once you lose the physical idea of home, you understand what that means. And so as you get older, the feeling is less and less, but it's more and more strong. There will be times, I don't know why, the feeling of home hits me really hard sometimes when it'll be the dead of winter and I'm baking chicken in the oven. And I have a studio apartment, so I'm eight feet from my from my oven. I can smell it, and it'll just hit me. It'll feel like old times. This this comfort food, and it's cold, and you're all cozy with your with your toe socks on. Even though you feel it less and less, the feeling is stronger and stronger, and you come to really truly appreciate the things and the people that make you feel that feeling of home. On the road, sometimes I will feel it if I'm in the mountains in the middle of Kentucky at four o'clock in the morning. And then there are sometimes, again, like when I go back to my dad's every now and then, sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't. But I think more than anything, more than professional success, more than where you are or who you're with, I, I think that's what I've learned the most is having to appreciate when everything just feels right, when everything yes. feels comfortable and it feels like home. Uh, whenever, whenever the end comes, those feelings and memories that are going to flash through your mind as you're dying almost, those are the ones I think that, that we should chase in this life more than anything. 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly happy and I'm certainly proud to get to do what I do, but life is so much more than that. I, sometimes I, I both fear and wonder with, with curiosity what my life would have been like had I never had to drop out of high school. I would have graduated. I would have gone to a university, probably dropped out anyway. My senior year would have been the year mom was sick. I would have never gotten into wrestling, would have never met you, would have never had what I just spent so long talking about. So it all goes back to that conversation with Corey behind his house after mom got sick. It it worked out the way that it had to. It really did. Sometimes it's it's maddening and sometimes it's beautiful. 
I think it's human nature to wish things had gone differently in some way. Yes, absolutely. Well, on the other hand, you know, I had a dream recently. My, my, I don't want to say best friend, but someone I was close to or as close as I could be to when mom was sick mm-hmm. was a friend that I used to play uh, racing games with. I never actually met the guy, but we would spend so much time either playing racing games together or just talking when mom was sick. And he became kind of the person that knew all of the details of my personal life that the people physically around me just couldn't know because they had physical access to me. (laughs) And that was just too much. When mom was sick, uh, he and I made this promise that one day we were going to work in the racing business together. And I do know what happened to him. He's still alive and not in the business, but I held up my end of the bargain. And there's a part of me that wishes it had worked out for him, too, because then we would have had the promise we had and and, and all of that happy ending. I mean, obviously, I regret, like, not being friends with this person anymore because I, I had a habit of getting drunk and calling him on Skype a lot. And he was upset about it. But I don't regret going through what I went through to get here because... As as weird of a person as I am, as loud and as inappropriate and sometimes trashy as I like to act, I'm at least real. I'm at least yes. honest. Well, you cannot deny that despite all of my flaws that I truly love what I do and appreciate it more than anybody. And there I've... are people in my industry with so much more than I have. There are people in my industry with a lot more money nicer cars, a better home, kids, a family, a wife, all sorts of things. And they complain about opportunity or that they complain on social media about being overlooked for a job or something else. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, for a kid who genuinely did not ever get to have a prom, I never went to prom as a high schooler. I was dropped out by then. I'm just happy that I get to go to the dance at all. Like I don't want to be prom king. I just want to be at the. I just want to be at the dance, and I think that's something endearing about me is that despite a lot of the struggle that I've had, I have something in my life that I love so much that also just so happens to be the biggest part of it. The way that I make my living, the way that the thing that I depend on to eat, you know, this big three pound burrito that I got tonight for dinner, the the thing that I relied on for that money is something I I love so much. And I know I'm extremely lucky to have that. And so it's always funny when I talk to people who kind of act like I'm a little bit off-putting. It's like, I know that I'm strange, but trust me, you're never going to find somebody like me that will work so hard for for what he does. Again, that's a demonstration of passion. So many people go through this life, and they just don't care. We see it every day. I worked with a guy at one of my retail jobs, we were out of work. We were clocked out, but we couldn't go home yet because we had this stupid rule that everybody left at the same time. So we were we were sitting in the cafe part of the store, and he said, you know, Lucas, I used to be like you. I was young and enthusiastic. And then you can see he starts crying. Oh, and he no. says, never mind. I don't want to talk about it. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, who hurt you? You know, like, what broke, what broke your heart so much? Because you've still got a pulse. You've still got a chance. Yeah. There are certain things that are physically out of the realm of possibility, like I'll never be the youngest golfer to ever hit a hole in one. I'm past that point. 
However, if I dreamed of playing golf at any kind of competitive level, I still have a pulse. It's still possible for me to go out and train to do it. I hate when I hear people say, well, I always really enjoyed whatever, but I never never really could give it a shot. It's like, well, why couldn't you? Who was who was holding you back? Because I guarantee it, they weren't actually holding you back. I'd be willing to take that back. I think, too, that I'm lucky. I mean, well, I, I think, too, one of, the, one of the reasons why I'm lucky, and I'm not knocking relationships when I say this, but staying single has really helped, especially in the gay community. Like, there's a whole lot of, of toxicity, and, and when, you, when you're a young adult until you get to be about 25, 26, this, the age that I am, a lot of relationships people expect to be like, you have to give me all of your attention, and I didn't want to do that for yeah. anybody. <laughs> I you wanted can't... to have my career first. Exactly. So I mean, I do. I think it was it was equal. It's been equal parts luck. I think it's been equal parts hard work and determination. I mean, I I, I was going to get here come hell or high water. I always knew that. But it's just it's so weird. It's it's almost like a dog catches car feeling now because now that I'm actively doing what I want to do and I'm a part of this business and people look at me and respect me as such. Now it's like, well, what am I fighting now? Like, what am, what am I, what am I trying to, to scratch my and claw my way to get? So it's weird. I mean, it's weird too because you never know, you never know where the where the peak is. You never really know where the top of the mountain is. Right. My philosophy has always been: if you reach a point that you think is the top of the mountain, you need to go ahead and quit because you're never going to work as hard as you did to get there. You know, getting to national TV was my goal. And now that I did it, you know, I want to work for a bigger network. I want yeah. to make more money. I want to do this and that. I want to work week to week. It would almost be like in your world, you write and produce your own pilot cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then it, it gets picked up by Cartoon Network for, the, for a series. And then you half-ass it for one season and get canceled. Because all you ever wanted to do was get to Cartoon Network. Yeah. But then because you got to that and you thought that was the top of the mountain, you half-assed the rest of it and got your show canceled. It's like, no, you, you then have to like double down and work even harder because now you want it to be a hit. You want that toy deal. You want that movie deal. Yep. You, want, you want all the stuff that comes with it, you know? It amazes me to see people who they reach a point, and you, you saw this in the wrestling business, you reach a point where a guy wins the title at a small-town indie show, and he never works as hard as he did before that nope because now he got to be he got to live his supposed dream of being the small town independent wrestling champion and that's it and so it's going to be you know it's going to be half-ass efforts from then on and then the guy's going to be like 58 years old commanding respect in the back of locker rooms at the flea market because he's a vet yeah i'm sorry I'm, <laughs> Am I bitter? No, because I I deal with the same things, man. But I mean, it's all so true. And like, man, I've just I've laid out on so much of tonight because I've I've enjoyed, I have related, and I've just been on an emotional roller coaster hearing your story, man. Like this this friendship we've had, and I'm still learning all this new stuff, and I'm still like figured out and the things you went through at such a young age. Isn't that the best part? Because yeah. It really is, man. Well, I was reading recently about how um, if a friendship lasts longer than seven years and you ha- and you still have things to talk about, new things to talk about, then it's it's a successful friendship, right? That it's, oh, it's yeah. one that'll probably endear for a long time. And I mean, I think about people that I've only known for like two years that I've already run out of stuff with. Yeah. So <laughs> to be in this position where we're able we're able to to talk about a whole lot more. 
Uh, all because you wanted to borrow my DVD copy of Orgasmo. Yes. Uh, which <laughs> my, my dad actually, that, that was his copy, and he recently asked me where that was. And I told him, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't know where that went. I have no idea where that copy of Orgasmo ended up. Oh, I, I know I gave it back, but... Uh. I know you gave it back, and then I don't remember if I let someone else borrow it or if one of the dogs got to it. Oh, no, no. But it's it's so funny, you know... The wrestling business is weird because, and I guess this is like any other job, Mm -hmm. you will have people that you see every week at shows and you hang out and you get to know each other so well, you have dinner after, and then all of a sudden, one day, one of the two people leaves the business and that friendship is over. You know, I have found myself in positions where I'll think about somebody super awkward. There was somebody I saw on television recently that... I was watching um, one of the shows with a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, my God, I know her. We used to hang out at shows all the time. When I left the business, of course, we fell out of touch, and it's like, it's so sad to think about how often that happens and how truly rare it is that people do stay in touch. I mean, you and me both, we're out of the business entirely. You know, we're done. I have a plan. I, I, there, there's maybe there's one more story I want to tell. If I ever get the chance to, to do that, but otherwise I'm thinking about one more appearance and then being done for good. My gear got stolen out of my car earlier this year and it, I had remember I been able to get it back. I would have been done by force. I would have had to be done. So yeah, I mean for anybody who's out of the business to stay in touch, but let alone two people that fell out of the business for different reasons. I mean, I think, I think our reasons for getting out were similar in your position. You've got a family that I'm sure you didn't want to see a lot of the uglier parts of that business. Yes. Which is understandable. And for me, I just saw enough ugly parts of the business to not want part of it anymore. My passion was gone. I wanted to do something else with my life. You know, in in the wrestling or in in the racing side of it, I'm not going to lie and say that um, there's not a lot of the same in some areas, uh, but it's not like you're not going to go to a race and see a driver popping pills before going out onto the track like you would in wrestling. You may have, you know, guys that cheat on their wives or guys that like to fight, get drunk after a race, something like that. But as far as the all out full on debauchery and, and bad behavior, especially the higher up the ladder you go in my industry, you don't see it. There's scandal, but it's, it's minor scandal. Like I said, it's usually, you know, who's banging who or something like that. It's never, the petty stuff. You know, it's never like someone being abused or, or taken advantage of. or Yeah, it's always petty stuff. It's never the actual, like, toxic people that need to be put in jail for stuff. And again, you know, you come in from Nashville, you saw more of that than I ever did. The, the really, really bad stuff that goes oh, on. Oh, yeah. And also, for that matter, you know, you do. You get, you get tired of seeing kids have their heart broken. Very true. You Very true, man. You get tired of man. seeing these, these young guys that they come into the business. You get tired of seeing these kids that are 17, 18 years old. They get preyed within upon. the first year that they've been wrestling, they're already heartbroken. Yeah, they get preyed upon. You you, yeah. know, you can try and talk you to them. You get tired them, of seeing that happen. I mean, it just, it's, a, it's a vicious thing, man, and it never gets well, easier I mean, to and, see. And not even like... Well, and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, again, you, you saw worse of it than I ever did, but... In my case, you know, it, it can even be something as simple as the older guy makes the, the young wrestler 
drive him around places. Well, now all of a sudden, where, where's this kid driving this person around to? You know, yeah. driving him around to buy drugs. Is he, dri- is he driving him around drunk? Yep. Things like that, or or taking money from from these kids. Mm-hmm. Pay, it's quote unquote paying you know, your oh, dues. I'll train you for a hundred dollars a session, and then and then they're quote. Yeah, and then their, quote, training is learning how to take bumps the wrong way. Yep, and they end up hurt and they can't do it again. Yeah. When I first moved here, I ended up talking to a kid who was trying to explain to me he was training how to work, and part of his training was they would stand on the middle turnbuckle and flat bump on their back from that. And I'm like, what are you learning from that? You're not. They're hurting you. That is bad training. That doesn't teach you anything. It's not where you should start, that's for sure. All they're doing is making you bump from like an extra three feet up. And if you already can't do a basic <laughs> bump, then... That's what they were starting with him doing. Yeah, that's not... <laughs> and I'm like, you should be learning basic bumps. Like, your first like three months should be bumps, running the ropes, and other very basic stuff. The basics and, uh, add up to the big stuff. It always do, starts so with the basics. people that just don't see a problem with it. You've got people, you know, on up... Uh, the, On a, they don't what? I was going to say, they don't see a problem with it because it's just repeating what they went through. And you don't correct it from the beginning. You do have the, the darker stuff that goes in there, too. The the guys that, you know, they'll come backstage with their, their girlfriend that looks more like their daughter. Yeah. Which is so bad to say because, again, talking about with, with Drew sheltering me from a lot, I can't say that I ever saw any of that kind of thing firsthand. But, boy, you would hear about it from other places oh yeah which if we try if we you got know, into that one the time it's man. guys that you don't even know about or you don't even know who they are yeah if we got onto that tirade we'd and be so here like, all night oh god yeah but i mean who wouldn't after after all of that i mean watch one episode of dark side of the ring and then tell me would you who would want their kids working in that business not you me know? not me i'm not saying like I'm sure it's the same as in my industry now. The further up the ladder you get, the less of that you see. Because when that becomes your day-to-day profession, you're doing house shows and all that stuff, you don't even have time anymore for that kind of behavior. Nope. Let alone, will, will your employer put up with it? But it's it's hard when you're on the, the bottom of the industry, and, and it's a lot of... It's a lot, a lot of, of people that shouldn't be there and nobody with the courage to tell them to leave. Yes, and then a lot of those same people trying to step over the other people to get to the top as quickly as possible. And it's encouraged. It's, you know, and you hate to see it, but it is what it is. Well, sure. I mean, because when you, you get to a point where what does it matter? And I'm saying this in a general sense. I'm not saying this is how I feel. But you get to a point where the predominant mentality is... What does it matter what's going on with these people on the bottom? Because if I'm if I'm higher on the ladder than them, then it, then I'm not affected. Again, I, I, I I'm so thankful every day that I, I reminisce that I was protected. That Drew had no tolerance. You know, there was there was the one time there was the guy that got, but he got arrested. And when he got arrested for whatever the, it was. It was a sexual crime of some sort, but when dude got arrested for that, uh, he was never allowed to even come back at all, let alone just to hang out. And I remember that because we were actually, uh, I was I in a program again, period. I was in a program with that guy and it got cut short and that's, that's what right. started me and Lamar. Yeah. I like, I never saw that dude again. Neither did I. Like, I don't God. even remember his name. Never. I don't think we ever had a conversation. 
But yeah, I never saw him on another poster, wrestling anywhere else. Like, that dude completely disappeared. And that was the only time I can remember there being a, a problem, and it was dealt with so quickly and so professionally. And for that matter, I mean, I can remember... I can remember Andy and Drew both having meetings backstage telling everybody, hey, look, we're hearing about other stuff going on at other shows. Keep in mind, we don't have a place for that here. If you, and th- this even extended to drugs. Yeah. You know, Drew was really hard on people about, about bringing drugs, too. You know, if you're going to show up and you're going to be drunk or you're going to be high going out for your match, you're not going to wrestle here. You're going down to Chatsworth right. or something. And I remember hearing, I remember hearing that a whole lot. That like we were we were serious about you're coming here to do your job and do it well and be a professional. And I will never understand. I mean, look, you, you if you catch me in private where I'm not working, I am the most lewd and profane speaking person. You know, profanity flies out of my mouth. But when I have to be a professional, I'm a professional. Yep. Right? I will never understand why people who choose a profession, they want to be a wrestler. They want to be a TV star. They want to be this or that. They choose a profession where they know kids are watching you. Yes. And they choose to do bad things anyway. Because it's like, you want to shake these people and say, look, if you were 10 years old and you saw yourself doing this, you'd be heartbroken, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, then. For whatever reason, nobody seems to care in a lot of cases. If they, and if they care, they obviously don't care too much or they wouldn't, they wouldn't put themselves in those situations. And that's disappointing. Agreed. I'm not saying you have to be a saint, you know, but like John Cena is a good example. The The public persona of John Cena is that he's a pretty stand-up dude. Now, if you hear like stories from people in the business, they're like, oh, yeah, he'll drink you under the table. But like if the worst thing he does is drink like a frat boy, I think that's OK. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I agree. He's, he's not up there hurting people. He's not. He's not doing bad things and taking advantage of anybody. Yeah, when you when you put yourself in a position where kids are, are paying attention to you, you have a you and that have doesn't a mean anything to you. Then you shouldn't be doing that job. Exactly. If you can't uphold that image, you don't need to be in yeah, that position. Whether you whether you want to believe it or not, when you when you chose that life, you chose to be a role model for somebody. Another good example. I was at I was at a dynamite taping a couple of weeks ago and. There was a family sitting next to me. I was there with my brother. Sitting to my right was a girl that was about, I don't know, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And she was the biggest John Moxley fan. I've biggest John Moxley fan I've ever seen. And like she knew who Minoru Suzuki was. Like this kid was obviously huge into wrestling. Yeah. And I know he's I know he's a heel, but and I love him, JF, but he comes out to do his thing and he said a few things that I thought I was like, oh, God, like this kid beside me has to feel awkward right now. <laughs> you know, uh, this child who is the target audience of this product uh, is probably uncomfortable with some of this language that she's hearing. Yep. And I never would have considered that. I never would have considered that years ago when I was in the business that, oh, you may you may say something that goes too far for some of the kids. But now that I'm a little older and I've spent time with my friends who have children, I get it. Yep. <laughs> I, I completely get it now. Which, by the way, and this is completely off topic, but I, I cannot imagine being in your shoes trying to raise kids in today's environment. Oh, my God. Dude, it's a like, nightmare. It's a nightmare. There is so much coming at you so fast. 
especially with like so much everything being internet connected. Yeah, there is so much that you have to monitor these days that it, it's got to be a nightmare. Dude, you have no idea. Tablets, and Nintendo some of these guys Switch. That we're talking about that act like this have. They have kids. Oh it, God, yeah, tablets. Ugh. And it's like you said, they have but kids, like, and it sets in it's. Oh, it's a vicious it's repeating some of these cycle. Guys that act like this, and so it's like, what are they teaching their children? Yeah, about how to treat other people, and you hate it because you wish, you know, you wish there was somebody to just shake these people and say enough. My industry is weird because it, it's so deeply conservative so there's a lot of like social political undertones to a lot of things that go on Mm -hmm. but i can handle that i grew up in the south so i'm cool with like gospel music and classic country playing at racetracks and stuff yeah i look at the way a lot of the younger kids act how professional and how kind they are and it's like okay there's a chance (laughs) there's a chance that that these kids won't be so terrible but then you you look at a lot of the people in wrestling and it's just like well, I would definitely love to go back and make a couple of appearances now and then. What I mean, what what is there to prove anymore? Exactly. You know, that's, that's the, the big, same thing I struggle that's with. The big thing I've asked myself. I know that I'm entertaining. I know what I'm made of, and there's not a stranger out there as a paying fan that could make me change my mind about who I am. Absolutely. I got into that business seeking validation and and seeking some kind of comfort that I was able to find. I don't regret it. And even if I did, I make a whole lot more money doing what I, something I love just as much. 100%. Now, if the opportunity one day were to ever come up that a big company was hiring for camera people or production people, sure, hell yeah, I'll do it. I'll try it. Absolutely. What's it going to hurt? Circle, you know, but yeah. yeah, if that never happens, then I, I'm cool with it. I get it. I'm not going to be like, what was that dude and be on the mat? Dennis Stamp, the referee. Yes. Yeah, who was who was doing his trampoline aerobics because the, the phone could ring at any time. God, nah, it's just uh, I'm not booked, Terry. I'm not booked. Delusions uh, of grandeur. I'm not, I don't want to be like that guy. No, and that's that's the uh, one yeah, thing exactly. too. Very much so, delusions of grandeur. Yeah, that's the other thing about it is like I felt like I was getting to a point with my character where I was starting to believe my own hype. Which is is weird. I think everybody that works in the business goes through that period. It's a very very immature phase. You're so cocky, you're so confident as the fictional version of yourself that you start acting like it. Yes, very true. I think the worst thing I ever did in that regard was (laughs) calling people porkers in real life (laughs) and like (laughs) saying bad things about people who were fat. Because I was, I was like, okay, this is this is getting to be too much. Like this isn't me. Uh, This is Ryan Lazarus coming out. It was so weird to to go through this because I went through I went through like eight years in about an hour and a half, two hours, and that's a long time to to highlight so quickly, right? So absolutely, you're, you're reliving so much emotion in such a short amount of time that I don't think I've ever been able to have the level of perspective about this that I have right now. I mean, if you wanted me to, to, to get really deep on it, we could have broken this down like month to month and done a 10 part series. Yeah. Just from what I've heard tonight, I don't doubt that. Cause we're already, man, we we're over the three hour mark at this point, And I'm still like, so just entrenched in this story. You're going to have to, you're going to have to break this into two. Oh yeah. <laughs> or it may well, be a special it's, release. It's, it's so tough because well, there's so much more like the failed relationship is its own saga. And then I really glossed over like living in Ohio, what brought me there in stand up comedy, why I stopped doing it. Like 
there's a whole lot. I never looked at the, at the story of the last 10 years or so of my life as one that you could just put a bow on, like wrap it up and put it on the shelf. Yeah. And it's its own story. I always felt like it was this ongoing saga. And it, it hasn't hit me until this conversation that I've been living in a different chapter of my life for like a couple of years now. Like I moved here in March of 2019 to escape a lot of the, the pain of the last few years before. And it hasn't hit me until tonight that like that pain, that period has been over for a long time. It took me so long to separate from it. I get it. Which is weird. Cause like I've been in therapy and I've been paying good money and haven't had the kind of breakthrough that I had tonight. So there's something to be said for that. Man. Yeah, I just breaking barriers here. I think about I think about all of this and well it's it's weird because, you know, I thought for, for such a long time that my life was gonna be defined by one of two things, me having to leave high school and, and sort of the what ifs of that. Mm-hmm. Or what if mom had never been sick? But the more I tell this story, the more I think I realize I would have wanted to break free from the wrestling business anyway. Right. For the last five years, I've held on to this idea that I could I could come back, I could come back and revive the character and and it and everything be like old times. And then the more I talk about it, the more I think I would have gotten tired of of everything. Like Empire would have gone away, and I would have seen how the business really is and wanted out. I would have ended up doing what I'm doing now a lot sooner. But yeah, I I never. I never considered that, that the position I'm in now is not exactly a product of, of my mom's illness and death. It's kind of like, you know, those choose your own adventure books. Yeah. Where, come on, it's a book, it's pre-printed. It's going to have the same, it's going to have the same ending no matter what you do. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can choose, you can choose your own adventure and choose, choose what pages to read in between. But you're going to get to the same conclusion of the story. You're going to get to the same point. And that's something I don't think I ever understood Yeah. until laying this story out and, and looking at it almost like a blueprint, you know, mm-hmm. like seeing where my life has, has been, where I've been up to this point. My mom always knew I was going to end up in this business. Remember one year I was watching the Indy 500 and I was just enthralled I was also half asleep, which I think she thought the the glazed over look in my eyes was the enthrallment more than being tired. Right, right. I remember my mom saying, I'm really happy that you have something uh, in in this life that you enjoy this much because most people don't. And just try to remember that you're lucky. It was weird because she said she said that like a year before she got sick. And I always have this theory that people know kind of when their time is coming. Mm hmm. She said, don't, don't ever forget how lucky you are that you, that you know how much you love this, this thing. And I don't want to say like my mom, she, she would watch racing with me. She would enjoy it. She definitely wouldn't seek it out on her own. Yeah. I don't think she really got it as much as she just enjoyed watching me get it. Yeah. But it was, it was so weird though, because yeah, when, when I started this, I, I, I never imagined 11 years ago when I had to quit high school that any of my life would have been as interesting. I was hoping so badly, especially at that age, that it would be a very quick, you're going to work here for six months, then here, then here, then bam, congratulations. Now you're on, you're on a major network, you know, hosting 
the pre-race for NASCAR or something like I never, I never imagined that life would be such a weird, I used to work with a woman who was an interior design major in college, graduated, became a stripper and then worked in marketing and promotions at a television station. And those were like the three phases of her life. I remember hearing that and and thinking, okay, yeah, her life has been interesting, but that's not going to happen to me, right? Like right. I always thought it was going to be seamless and kind of boring. And to to be able to have done what I've done, it's been pretty kick ass. I mean, I've got a lot more ahead of me too. But and again, I I don't like to mention places by or workplaces by name, but one of the places <laughs> I work is like the Madison Square Garden of my industry. Um, not hard to figure out where it is, but you know, most famous venue in the world for, for the sport that I work in. Mm -hmm. And I get to go there every day, every single day. I take fans on tours and I get to show them around the property, but I get to go to my favorite place every day. This place that I used to see on TV as a kid. And it seemed like a magical wonderland that didn't really exist. And then I grow up, I live four and a half miles away, and every single day I get to show this place to people and share my love of the event that we have every year. Like, how did I get so lucky? And I know it, it wasn't just luck. I had to work to get here, but I understand that I appreciate every day what a, what a treasure and what a blessing it is to get to do this. Yep. It really is as simple as not ever giving up, waking up every day, even when you don't want to, and working hard finding something about yourself to believe in finding some some reason as to why you want to make tomorrow better than today and it can be for yourself it can be for your family your best friend your dog mm -hmm. which i know for a lot of people those are all one and the same you know my my next dream which i'm sure you can relate to this when all this is over with when my time in the racing business is done I, I hope I will have made enough money. You know, I want to, I want to be one of the, I want to have one of those sanctuary homes for, um, like old dogs, you know, they were right or there like together. Retired racehorses or something, just animals that deserve a dignified end to their life that some, some jackass put off because they didn't want to take care of them anymore. Yes. I'm right there with you, man. You know, that is my next dream. That is my next goal. It has nothing to do with like fame and fortune or any of the things people crave. Instead, my next my next dream in this life is is to give some kind of love and comfort to helpless creatures. And like mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes fantasizing about that life, which may be thirty or forty years away, but sometimes dreaming about that life is enough for me to wake up in the morning if I'm having a bad time. Because I will I will say, you know, one day I'm, I'm going to, there's going to, there's some creature out there, some dog, some cat, unknowingly, I'm going to become its entire world one of these days. And I owe it to myself and to that animal to, to be good, absolutely, to, to live a good life and do right. It goes back to that quote from Conan O'Brien. When Conan O'Brien got fired from The Tonight Show and it was the most public humiliation that, that an entertainer can face. You get your dream job and your shit can six months later. Mm -hmm. When Conan O'Brien got fired from The Tonight Show, his last episode, uh, the monologue at the end, before they before Will Ferrell comes out and they sing Freebird, and I know this because I recorded like almost every episode of Conan's <laughs> Tonight Show. I was a nightly viewer and would tape every episode. Same. 
but on the on the last episode, oh, it was so it was so good. It was the best six months in TV history. But Conan said, NBC has told me I can come out here and say whatever I want. One guy in the audience laughs, and Conan just goes, "Sir, no, this isn't a bit." And in in the face of the most public humiliation imaginable, he praises the people who put him in that situation. He says, I want to thank NBC for all they've done for me. I've worked for this company my entire adult life, and they have taken care of me and done right by me, which that took so much grace in itself. Absolutely. And that that doesn't get talked about enough. Then he said something that has been reprinted and misprinted on motivational posters for the last 12 years. He said, nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. No truer words. I have words. only seen that monologue back one time since it aired live. And I remember that quote word for word. And there are no truer words. Verbatim because of how much it meant to me when I was 15 and how much it means to me now. And that is the most true thing. It, I, I go back to it earlier. I know I'm kind of weird. I know I'm off-putting. I'm loud. I'm, I'm kind of gross. I'm just a different kind of person. But above all of that, I work hard, and I'm as kind as I can be to people. All of my other flaws, people are willing to look past because of that. And I've been able to do some of the most amazing things and meet some of the most amazing people through my work because of that. And I I still, to this day, believe that to be as true as it ever has been. It's worked out for me. It works out for other people. And... That's why, and I, I, you may have seen my Instagram post about this the other day, I, I hate it so much when I see people who are cynical or broken, angry, they, they can't wait to just show their anger and have an outburst. And why? For what reason? You know, because on the other end of that spectrum, if you do right, if you do good things, good things will happen. They may not be what you want, but they will happen. And... I do. I, I feel like that's something people don't ever consider. We all get so caught up in what we want, what we think we deserve. Mm-hmm. And that'd be nice if there weren't 7 billion other people in this world. Yeah. But it's like I said earlier, I don't even have that dazzling of a resume compared to a lot of people I know, but I'm more proud of the work I get to do than a lot of people. Very true. I mean, it's all in the perspective more than I'm anything else. I'm not those people who they, they want more. I was, I was a kid who grew up, we were so broke as kids. I mean, we lived in this trailer where the floor was falling through in the bedroom. There were like, there were spots that we, uh, we, we barked off with like toys or videotapes as like, don't step there, it'll fall through. I grew up in, in such weird circumstances and yet my parents were so kind my parents were so caring they also sheltered us from a lot most importantly i never saw my either one of my parents give up they made whatever situation they were in work they didn't complain they didn't they didn't shout woe is me and if they did it wasn't for long i've had bad i had a bad day over the weekend at my job and i went home i I went back to my hotel kind of spent a couple of hours feeling sorry for myself. And then I said, I said, tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel sorry for yourself about this again. What are you going to do? What are, what are, how are you going to make sure tonight doesn't happen again? The last best 
piece of advice slash famous quote that I can think of is uh, B.J. Thomas. I don't know who actually wrote this song, but in the song, uh, Raindrops Are Falling On My Head. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple line where he says, I'm never going to stop the rain by complaining. That's probably the one thing I live by more than anything else. And we all know what that means. Yeah. That if you want something done, you're going to have to make it happen yourself. If you want it to stop raining, which is impossible, figure out a way to make it stop raining, but don't sit and complain about it. Exactly. That's the one thing that motivates me more than anything else. The one quote is, uh, yeah, I'm never going to stop the rain by complaining. And that's a good song, too. So, I mean, it's, (laughs) it's a good one to live by, I guess. It really is. I mean, that's man, I can't believe we're coming up on three and a half hours now. And it's a it's a great place to put a bow on this one as well, because, I mean, like you said, there's so much more stuff that we can come and unpack. But that that line right there just damn near perfectly sums up your mentality on everything, shows the perspective you've (laughs) gained on everything. And I can't think of a better place to wrap it up on that than that right there. Awesome. All right. Well. I mean, obviously, you know, if, if you want to talk about the other stuff oh, yeah. in my you're, role, I'll be more than happy to. I you're mean, coming back, for sure. I mean, I've that's... Always wanted, I've, always, I've always wanted to just tell a whole bunch of stories about my mom, well, the things I learned from her growing up, so... Well, dude, this is the, uh, about. This is the place to do it, and it's definitely going to be... Like you said, I'm trying to decide now if this is going to be split up into multiple parts or if we're going to make this one jumbo episode because it's so much to unpack there that I think it would do it a disservice to split it up. But yeah, you're definitely going to be coming back for more, whether it's more wrestling stories, more mom stories, you know, the relationships you reference. Man, there's so much more that we can talk about. And you've taken me on an emotional roller coaster tonight. And I just can't thank you enough for not only being so generous with your time, but. <laughs> being so raw, so real and so vulnerable and trusting me to have the conversation to to put out there because I know that there are so many people out there that your story is going to help and that it's going to have an impact on them. So, man, just thank you again. I hope so. Thank you. Um, yeah, like I said, just bring me, bring me back on whenever you want. And whatever you decide to do, just, you know, make sure it's not the uh, the longest – I feel like that was such a long episode that it may get a little uninteresting, but I don't know. You can be the judge. I lived it. Nobody else did. So I don't know, man. It kept me interested the whole time, so I may be a good barometer on that, but we'll see. But, dude, we're going to go ahead and call it right there. So, man, Lucas, just thank you again. <laughs> thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you to our sponsors. I can't wait to have our next week's guest on, and I can't wait for you guys to make sure that you're telling – all your friends and family about it. Make sure you're liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter and Instagram, just sharing it with everybody. And if you love the stories that you're hearing and you love the guests, leave us a five-star review and just keep getting the word out for us, man. And I know you hear me on that. So guys, we're going to call it here tonight. We'll see you all next week. And Lucas, thank you again, man. Thank you. Are you interested in being a voice actor? Or are you already a voice actor wanting to level up your career? then my voiceover coach can help. Elise Bowman and I have been working together and she has helped me take my game to the next level and find a whole new confidence behind the microphone. Go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. She's a results-driven voiceover coach who works with you whether you are completely new to voiceover or you're a seasoned professional. She focuses on three areas. The craft of acting, the technical side, So she'll help you set up a home studio and you're going to be surprised at how inexpensive that can be.
and the business side. You'll learn how to get a demo produced, how to submit to agents, and how to market yourself. The most fun part of it for me has not only been finding that new confidence, but also finding new things I can bring to characters for animation and video games. And like I said, just go to EliseCoaches.com. That's E-L-I-S-E Coaches.com. And remember, I know you hear me, and I want to hear from you. So let me know if you have any questions about my experience with Elise. Remember to connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the Flynn Hendricks.